Shalom. My name is Ephraim Resnick. I live in Muncie, New York. I love reading the Arul Sheva news, and I love the daily email service. We're in Israel to celebrate our son Zachariah's wedding this week in Nebrak. We're visiting the studio with my lovely wife and three of our daughters. I'm totally surprised how beautiful Bethel is and how wonderful the people are. And we love Israel. Thank you so much. Tune in to www.israelnationalnews or israelnationalradio.com. lovers of Israel, Torah, the Jewish people, and the Noad nations. I'm your host, Adam Pinrod. Ray is out today, so I'll be doing the show solo. At any rate, welcome to the show. Today we will be talking about Noahide's reading and learning material that seems to be aimed only at Jews. We've received emails and phone calls and a growing trend of questioning about this topic. You know, the question that we usually get is something along the lines of, you know, I'm reading such and such a book and I, I can't help but get the feeling that you know, this book was aimed at talking to the Jewish people. The author is talking to the Jewish people, not to Noahides. So if this book is aimed at the Jewish people, is there really anything I could take away from it? Is this a book I should even really be studying? So the problem is, the people who are asking this kind of question is uh, they're just not able to uh, to be discerning enough to know, you know, which commentaries, the books, advice, deep tour insights that are for them. You know, and this is a this is an understandable problem. After all, about ninety nine percent of the books out there really aren't aimed at B'nai Noach at Noahides. They're they are aimed at the Jewish people. Why is this? Well, let's just take a moment and think about this. In the history of the Jewish people over the last two thousand years, we can go back further. How how often have there been active Noahide communities where the rabbis really needed to uh, specify information for B'nai Noach? This current movement of B'nai Noach. This current movement of B'nai Noach, you know, is, I would start the, the timing of it beginning around 1990 for the most modern. There's, of course, the movement in France that was started about uh, end of the 19th century. But we'll take this current 20th century uh, version of the movement started by uh, people like Vindel Jones and others who, uh, you know, and that's only been within like the last 30 years, 32 years. Well, Within the last 32 years, how much material should be written, should have been written to B'nai Noach? You know, only now do we really have an idea. Are we really beginning to feel the presence of the B'nai Noach out there? Only now are we starting to see all these Noahide groups popping up everywhere. In, you know, Texas, in Louisville, in uh, um, South America, in the Philippines. In India, all over the world, we have little groups popping up here and there. And uh, but this is only recent. So there's a good reason that most of the material you read out there is uh, seems to be aimed at the Jewish people. That's because it is aimed at the Jewish people. That's the simple fact of the matter. Um, the very little that isn't aimed at the Jewish people, aimed specifically at B'nai Noach, well, you don't really need help figuring that out. So. You know, I used a word earlier, discerning. And I said, you need to be discerning about this. So since 99% of the material out there is aimed at the Jewish people, 
That doesn't mean 99% of the information out there isn't relevant to Noahides. It just means with that 99%, you have to be discerning about it. You have to figure out what is going to be useful to you as a Noahide and what maybe you can get, get, get away with. Things that are interesting but maybe not uh, practical um, or necessary to know right now. So I say discerning, but already I know some of you are laughing at me. Adam, what are you talking about discerning? I'm just starting into learning about the Noahide laws. I'm just beginning for the first time to really start to understand the Torah. How can I, a beginner, be discerning? And even for some of you who've been studying this for a while, I'm sure even you still have some questions about sorting out how to find what you need to know. So tonight, what we're going to talk about is how to be be discerning in 10 easy steps. I'm not literally going to give you 10 steps, but what I am going to do is I'm going to give you a way of a general approach to thinking through information. And uh, general approach is one of my favorite phrases. I'm sure some of you have noticed already uh, if you're, you've been listening to this show regularly because I certainly believe that we live in an era when there's so much information out there that if you don't have an approach to the information, you're going to be overwhelmed by it. And ultimately, all of your struggling is going to be futile. So you have to develop a general approach, a plan of attack when you're coming upon something like this. Don't focus on all the minutiae and all the details. Begin by focusing on generalities. And so I'm going to teach you a generality, a general approach to discernment. Now, in the long term, what you're going to need to do to, to, to make this worthwhile and to do well with it is you're going to need to start learning with a rabbi. Uh, if possible, find a, a, a really learned Noahide scholar or someone more advanced than you. Start learning about the Noahide laws as much as possible. And these are the things that are going to help you develop the ability to be truly discerning on your own. But to take care of the immediate problem, I'll give you an overview that should get you started. So the Noahide, and if you want to know what I mean by Noahide, you need to go to our new blog, Noahide Notions, on noahidenations.com, and look for the article Noah-IDE. That will give you an idea of what we mean when we when we use the term Noahide. So the Noahide needs to understand who he or she is. This is the person who's been doing it for a while. They've really got a sense of what a Noahide is, and they know specifically, as far as Noahides go, what types of things are relevant to that individual. So, but everything I'm going to talk to talk about is about Noahides in general. Um, but just know, the better you understand yourself, the better you understand who you are in the live Torah the more discernment that you'll have. So let's get going. Now to get to to the idea of what or who a Noahide is, it would be helpful if we could contrast the notion of being a Noahide with something else. Well, the most relevant something else is going to be the Jewish people. After all, like I said, we're, you know, the Noahides are learning from Jewish books. They're learning at the feet of the sages of Israel. They're learning from... Noahide leaders who have learned with Israel, learned with rabbis. So we're going to start off and we're going to learn who are the Jewish people. Because in this world, there are Jews and there are non-Jews. There are Gentiles and there are Jews. So if we know one group, we can better know the other group. The Jewish people were chosen to be a nation of priests. And they were chosen for this role because of who their forefathers were, the types of people they were. God made a promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that promise is in part realized in their descendants being a nation of priests. So what makes a priest a priest? So let's identify 
some qualities that distinguish a priest from your average Joe Blow on the street? Well, for one thing, priests usually dress in a way that sets them apart from others. They're going to wear clothes that make it clear that they're priests. So do the Jewish people have anything like this? Absolutely. Jewish men wear fringes on the corners of their four-cornered garments called tzitzit. Often they cover their heads with a kippot or a kippah. It's a little uh, piece of material they put on their head. When praying during the week, Jewish men will uh, wear tefillin. Those are those boxes that you see Jews putting between their eyes and even on uh, their bicep. During prayers, they'll also very often wear prayer shawls, um, which we'll also have on them tzitzit. Of course, Jewish women, they cover their hair if they're married, and they always dress modestly. Another quality of a priest is that priests often eat different types of food. They have restrictions on their diet. They can't just eat anything in any way that they want to. Well, the Jewish people have laws governing what kind of foods they can and cannot eat, and even when they can and cannot eat some of those foods. Pesach is coming up soon. And uh, that certainly narrows the, the different types of foods that Jews can have. Please keep your candy bars to yourself. It's not a good time. Priests have special times of holy contemplation. Well, the Jewish people have Shabbat, a day when they are meant to be even more involved in the study of Torah, prayer, and immersion of thought. They have other holidays as well. They have Yom Kippur. They have Rosh Hashanah. And they have Pesach, again, which is coming up where they contemplate the exodus from Egypt and the salvation that God wrought for them, asking about the asking the four types of questions the four different types of sons will ask. Priests often will have items that let people know that priests can be found more than likely in this area. Well, the Jewish people have mezuzah or mezuzot, and those are the, um, usually tell them they're attached to the, the doorway of a Jew's home, and you can also find them in the doorways of synagogues and on gates. You can also find priests on the grounds of and within temples. The priests usually have a specific area in which they op- operate. Well, the Jewish people have synagogues where they can be found. Um, synagogues you'll find inside and outside of Israel. Um, Israel itself is the grounds of the Jewish people. It's the land of the priesthood. And this land of the priesthood is marked in the past and soon, with God's help, Bezrat Hashem, with a holy temple. In these areas, the Jewish people are constantly, collectively devoted to God. You can also find priests engaged in constant learning of holy texts, teachings of sages, contemplations of these matters, in regard to practical application, even theoretical thought. So these are the different types of areas that you can find priests. Now, in regard to matters of learning, all of the above areas, the areas, everything that I've mentioned so far, are clearly, specifically areas of learning for the Jewish people. Not that I'm saying that these aren't matters for Noah, for Noahide learning. It's not that Noahides can't learn or engage in some of these activities. But these are areas, absolutely necessary areas, of learning for the priesthood. These are things that are most relevant for the priesthood. And the reason that each of these areas is absolutely necessary is because part of what it means to be a priest 
is to be set apart. And if you look at the things that we've just talked about, engaging in these activities set Israel apart from the nations. Now that if you have a Noahide who participates in some way in these areas, they too, as a result of the types of commandments and activities that these are, they will also become separated from other members of the nations. This is very difficult. A Noahide has to be careful about getting involved in these areas of learning because they risk making themselves completely alone. Not just alone from the Jewish, separate from the Jewish people, but separate from other non-Jews. So these are areas that, in my mind, are areas that Jews, that Noahite should really be the least concerned with. Now, obviously, when it comes to the holidays, there are universal aspects to all the holidays. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. But the holidays in regard to the way the Jewish people keep them, that's something for the Jewish people. It's specific to their mission. Kashrut, something specific to the mission of the Jewish people. Noahides don't have to keep kosher, although in just a minute we'll talk about this. They do have certain expectations in these areas. So since I bring that out, now what about the Noahide? What can Noahides do with the above information? So let's go through and ask some questions. Do Noahides typically wear special clothings, clothes that mark them out as Noahides? Well, to my mind, I can't really think of anything a Noahide wears that makes them particularly discerning. I don't see how anyone would be able to pick a Noahide out of a crowd unless they wore a t-shirt saying, hey, I'm a Noahide. Okay, so do Noahides typically eat different food from others? Well, so long as the Noahide doesn't eat anything considered limb of a living animal, which is Noahide kashrut, then the answer is no. If you can go to Chili's and... You know, eat a chicken that hasn't been torn, it hasn't had one of his limbs torn off while it was still alive, you can eat it. Now, a Noahide isn't restricted from keeping kashrut. They can, but this is a matter for the individual going above and beyond the Noahide laws. But again, be very careful. Kashrut is very demanding and also makes you very separate from others. Just imagine uh, mom and dad or brother and sister want to have a good time with you and want to take you out to dinner and uh, go out to dinner with you. I'm sorry I can't do that because I keep kosher. You just put a roadblock between yourself and your family. Why? Do you know I have special times of contemplation and prayer? No. No, I'd pray whenever and wherever they want. They don't have a fixed prayer either. Hit will to do personal prayer. They can engage in personal prayer whenever and wherever they want to. Do Noahides have items that let others know that Noahides live there? No, I've never heard of such a thing. Can Noahides usually be found on the grounds and within temples? Well, Noahides are found everywhere. However, if Noahide chooses to go to a synagogue, he can be found there. And in the temple, perhaps so, yes. But in general, these aren't places that you would 
uniquely expect to find Noahides at. Can Noahides engage in constant learning of holy texts, teachings of sages, and contemplation of matters for application in life? Well, yes and no. You know, certainly for practical application of the Torah, that makes sense for a Noahide. But, you know, really the aim of a Noahide's learning ought to be aimed at elevating the world around them. But aren't Noahides required to learn day and night like a Jew is? No. So these matters that I just covered, the Noahide isn't specifically required to fulfill these matters or to engage in them. A Noahide would have to make a personal commitment to go above and beyond what a Noahide is typically obligated to do. But these really aren't uh, usually relevant matters of study for Noahides. And for a Noahide who wants to go beyond the basic obligations of the Noahide laws, these aren't the areas I would start off for the Noahide. I really wouldn't. I think it's a mistake to get engaged in those areas specifically before you've found other areas that are more in line with observance of the seven Noahide laws. That'll actually help you strengthen the observance of the seven Noahide laws. So we've sort of marked off an area where we could say that, you know, a Noahide can, but really shouldn't. I mean, you know, I have to be very careful the way I say things, but um, we've, we've put up a list of things that really are more relevant for Jews than they are for Noahides. So let's talk about areas that are really are relevant for Noahides, areas that Noahide could really not go wrong putting their effort into learning about. So what kind of area is this? Well, first off, let me ask you a question. With those five or six things that I just listed, have we covered the, the vastness of Torah learning? Have we covered everything that, that the Torah has to offer in uh, regard to learning for a person? Have we covered every path that exists? Um, every path that's available in drawing close to Hashem? No, not at all. The Torah is so vast, there are just a great number of things to learn. You know, Noahide really could spend a lifetime just learning, you know, the th not even much more than his basic obligations. You know, you can spend a lifetime drawing closer to Hashem with everything else that's out there and available. So even a serious student will never have a lack of subjects to learn on. So what kind of subjects am I talking about? Well, let me ask you this. Do or should Noahides pray? Yes, absolutely they must pray. Any Noahide who doesn't pray to God is nothing more than an atheist. Because if you're not praying, that means you don't really believe there's someone there listening and answering your prayers. You know, there are so many books, so many teachings about prayer. You know, prayer is something that you can't spend enough time doing or reading about or learning how to do better or even experimenting, you know, asking Hashem to help you with your needs, to praise Hashem. You know, any time, any energy you spend on prayer is never wasted. Should Noahides honor their father and mother? Are you kidding? Of course they should. In fact, B'nai Noach have traditionally excelled in this area of Torah. There are even stories in the Talmud about B'nai Noah who have lost vast fortunes because of their high regard for their parents. B'nai Noach are, 
it's a hallmark for them in, in, in one sense. So let me see here. Should Noah have learned about having successful marriages? How to raise God-fearing children? Yes, yes, yes. Of course they should. Should Noahides learn about how to be upright in business dealings? How to correct character flaws? How to repent? Absolutely. All of this. You know, there's so much for a Noahide to learn. These are just a few things. If you have access to teaching in these areas, do you really imagine that you're going to ever have a lack of things to study? The majority of learning out there, the majority of teaching out there is just as much for you as it is for anyone else. You know, God created the human race because he wants the human race to draw close to him. Whether they're Jew or non-Jew, God does not desire the death of the wicked. God doesn't desire your failure. He desires your success. When the children of Israel went to, uh, oh, they made it to the other side after the splitting of the sea, the angels were going to burst forth in song and rejoice, rejoicing over the destruction of Egypt, the enemies of God. And God told the angels, don't rejoice. These are also my children. God wants, God created each of us with the mission. And that mission is, is to draw as close to him as we can when, while we're here on this earth. The Torah is our pathway to Hashem, to drawing close to Hashem. The Torah comes down to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. The rabbis and the Jewish people engage night and day in the study of the Torah. And they learn the Torah together. And they come to understand the Torah. And then the Torah gets disseminated to the nations. And the nations disseminated amongst themselves. The Jewish people and the Noahide peoples, the Noahide nations, should work together. You know, the Noahides have the responsibility to take the knowledge they learn from Israel and spread it out. To help others who are interested to come to know Hashem. The Jewish people are, are a nation of priests and that's the backdrop against which, which we say the Noahide nations are the congregation. The Noahide nation and the Jewish peoples work together. They strive to work together, to elevate this world and each other. And when they can work together and help elevate this world, when that happens, the prophecies and the prophets that speak of a world of peace no longer become a dream, but they are in fact reality. Now that's uh, all I have to say about this. We're butting up against the uh, break, and Israel National Radio really needs to uh, take care of some business. So I shall release you, and I shall see you on the other side of this break. Mrs. Resnick, your principal from Otsar High School Program for Girls. I'd like to say hello to all of my wonderful students. We're having a wonderful time in Eretz Yisrael. And Be'ezrus Hashem, I'm going to take you all to Eretz Yisrael on a school trip. 
I can't wait to see you back in Muncie. And I'd like everybody to listen in to www Israel National News or IsraelNationalRadio.com. Tune into Arot Sheva, where we'll be delighted to hear from you. Israel National Radio, real interviews with real Israelis on real issues. Live and downloadable, www.israelnationalradio.com. Welcome back. This is the Noahide Nations radio show on Israel National Radio. Coming to you from the heart of Texas, or really I would say from the upper left part of the eye. And this is Adam Penrod, your host for today. Typically, I'm joined with my by my co-host Ray Pedersen, but Ray was unavailable today, and so he left me in charge. I hope that doesn't turn out to be a mistake on his part. But let's uh, let's continue on the discussion before we get to Rabbi Katz and his Torah teaching. Noahide learning in general is, uh, in some ways, problematic. I think. Um, there are more and more material resources available for Noahides to use, to learn from. Resources like Noahide Nations. And for those of you who don't know, Noahide Nations is actually undergoing a facelift. We're also not only undergoing a facelift, but in fact, there are a great many changes coming to Noahide Nations in the near future. Uh, most of this will culminate in uh, the uh, April 2nd with the final phase of our relaunch, and we invite all of you to come and, and take a look at that. Uh, even come come now, take a look at it. We uh, are creating a new social community. We have a new format for articles. We have, uh, you know, the store has been, is brand new. Um, there are so many different things that uh, we've added, changed, updated, Further things change in the future. A new Academy of Shem is on the way. So those of you who are, who are already enjoying the Academy of Shem, just wait. There's going to be so much more coming soon, uh, just right down the road. And uh, beyond that, Noahide Nations is planning its first ever tour in the land of Israel. So for those of you interested in the tour of the land of Israel... Write us at adam at noahidenations.com and you can say, hey Adam, I'm interested in learning about the trip to Israel. Um, let me know and I will get you on our list and as details develop, I'll keep you posted. So we have this great big trip to Israel coming up. We're also going to have opportunities for people to give to new Tzedekah projects in the very near future. It's so exciting what's going on with Noahide Nations, and we're sure to bring you more and more updates as uh, we draw closer to both the completion of Phase 2 and then afterwards as we implement some of the long-term projects that we've been uh, we've had on the back burner or that we've been working on, ready to, to uh, unleash. So this year will be the year of Noahide Nations, and this is going to be a, a great time for those of you who don't know about Noahide Nations what the website is about, what it is. This is going to be a great time for you to learn about that. Come and take a look at the website. We have articles and blogs and and uh, all sorts of great stuff. 
come in, take a look around, and uh, stay with us as we continue to improve and bring you those changes uh, in the very near future. Um, this is uh, something that I've been looking forward to. You know, when uh, Ray started Noahide Nation, so five, six years ago, um, well, you know, uh, there were a lot of things he and I talked about that we would like to see Noahide Nation capable of doing. And finally, the technology has caught up with us. And as we go down the road, we're going to continue to take, make use of the technology that we have available today. And we're going to make some of those things happen. So we have Rabbi Katz, who today is going to teach us more from the Academy of Shem. We'll be hearing about the wells that Abraham and Isaac dug, how those have an impact in later Jewish history with Moses and King David and, and Jewish history in general, and even how it has an impact in the future uh, era. And I hope you enjoy these teachings from Rabbi David Katz. Rabbi Katz, we're ready for you now. See everyone after the teaching. Welcome to another week of the Academy of Shemineaver. I'm Rabbi Katz, and this week we're going to discuss the wells of the Torah that were dug by Abraham, Isaac, a stone removed from upon the well by Jacob, Moses sitting on the well, and how it affects the lineage of King David all the way to learning Torah today between the Jew and the Noahide. Let's get a bit of background on these wells. What we have in the Torah is Abraham has met up with Avimelech. And there's a, a dispute amongst the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Avimelech. They, there's a well that was dug and the dispute is over who is the owner of the well. It comes out that Abraham is the owner of the well based on one fact, says the Torah. There was, a, there was a stipulation. Whoever the water of the well greets, he is the master of the well. Thus the water ended up greeting Abraham and his, and his men. Abraham is the master of the well. He seals an oath with Avimelech stating as such, thus the name of the city was Beersheba. The well of the oath, literally. Isaac is going to go and dig the same wells over, yet he's going to dig at least three to five wells by name in the Torah. And we're going to say that because of what Isaac did, the city was also called Beersheba. The city of the well of the oath. The commentator to the Torah, the Ramban, he basically lets us know that these wells, their, their essence is not at the time of digging. The essence of the wells actually takes place much into the future. Imagine where time is one plane of existence, past, present, and future. Where the present can affect the past, the past can affect the future, the future can dwindle to the past. In one linear existence. Thus, when the wells were dug 
It was not to say we're digging for the future. The future is the base of Mitish reality, the third temple, where Jew and Noahide will take place in certain offerings, and it will be called a house of prayer, based tefillah. The whole world will take part in pilgrimage to the holy temple. That's the ultimate level of the rectification of reality and time in the world. The whole world can take part of the holy temple in Jerusalem. Thus what we find is that the holy temple can be compared to water, to kind deeds, and water and Torah are synonymous. What is the principle of water? It descends and drips to the lowest source. Thus the holy temple is that salvation of the future. It is that reservoir. And it trickles down through all the academies of the world, Shem, Aver, and of Isaac, the Jewish and Noahide academies. Now, you might be saying to yourself, what is a Noahide academy? It hasn't been revealed yet. As time goes on in the future, they'll start to take hold when they get closer to the source. But when they descend through time, they remain concealed, yet functioning. It's like a, a person's body. He has arms, he has legs. But what about his heart? We don't see the heart. Maybe it's not there. It is there. You just don't see it. But you see the blood, and you see your, your flesh, and your skin. You see the veins. You see, it. you see there is a concept. It's doing its job. Yet you cannot identify the heart. The wells in the academies of Shem and Aver are doing their job. They might not be seen, but it's like a body. It's just doing its part in the body. When there's a revelation of those academies, then you will be closer to the third temple. But while they're this, this trickling down through time, there must be an action to reveal and manifest that source in the world. So here comes Abraham, Isaac, coming and digging the wells. There now is an open revelation of the channel in this world. That channel is being opened all the way down to the city of Beersheba, where we find three distinct learning academies that will permeate the entire world. The Academy of Isaac, Aver, and Shem. From the academies of Shem and Aver, you can get academies in the whole world. As we said, there are at least seven academies to Shem and Aver. Sfat, Beersheba, Jerusalem, Gan Eden, all over the world, Nineveh. Isaac redigs the wells and he opens that link to the Holy Temple. Now the Holy Temple has a vessel to, to trickle into. And as time unfolds forward now, we're just going to uncover more and more wells or use more and more wells until Jacob comes and he removes the rock from the well, when he meets Rachel. We know just like when you take a drink out of a live spring, you have to remove and filter the rocks to get the pure water. Jacob represents removing the rock from upon the well. Letting the influx go out through the entire world. That well that Jacob removed the rock, he opened a channel. Moses is going to come along. And sit, Vyashiv Alaber is going to sit on the well. 
And we all know how Moses affected the water of the world. At the splitting of the Red Sea, the water in the entire world split. Thus we can imagine that Moses did a rectification on the, the concept of a well. He learned or he sat on the well. And that brought out the, the Academy of Torah to the entire world as Shem was invested to Mount Sinai. When Moses comes now with the Jewish people out of Egypt and the, the Red Sea splits, the whole world is primed and ready to receive the Torah. And then all through time forward, towards the future, Torah in the, in the world will work with the Jew in exile as it is being transported like the Holy Ark through its travels in the desert, through all the various academies of Shem and Aver in the world. When you have the academies of Shem and Aver in the world, you're saying to yourself, well, where are they? Well, the Torah has been influenced in every exile it went to. Babylon, Persia, Greek, Roman, Ishmaelite, Egyptian. Everywhere the Torah has gone through, it has, it has acquired and adapted to words, language, terminology, concepts, form, structure. It might not quote its sources, as the sources are hidden. As we said, the, the, the wells don't have to be open and revealed like, like a heart in the body. You, don't, you cannot see the heart in the body, but you know it's doing its job. In the words of the Torah, this is called a yesod, a foundation. Sometimes a yesod, foundation point is revealed, and sometimes it's concealed until it's opened again. The, the beginning of that revelation of the foundation was found in the wells of Abraham and Isaac. And then again, there was a revelation by Jacob. And then again, there was a revelation, an opening of the wells by Moses. And then we had the seed of David from Ruth and Boaz. That Ruth was married to a man. And then he died. Then she marries Boaz. And their child is a reincarnation of that first husband. The new child's name is Ovid. The Zohar tells us that he made a tremendous rectification. To removing the stones from the earth of the branch and the root of this tree of Boaz, eventually there will be a King David. And this is compared to the Torah that we have. Removing the rocks. There are birds that eat food to compare this idea to. And the bird has rocks in his, in his mouth, in his area, they choose. Or he's going to swallow. And the rocks grind the food to make it digestible. What we're explaining with the Noahide and the Jew. The Jew has those rocks. He has to digest the Torah. And then by the time the Torah is prepared to be, di to be served, to be understood... On the level of pure water, pure Torah, pure kindness throughout the world... We have to remove those rocks. You may have relied upon those rocks to chew and digest and to, to churn over a matter. Toil over it. But what does Noah's name mean? You shall ease the toil of our labor. 
Cain brought offerings of the field. And he didn't understand why his, his offering was rejected. He brought it raw. Literally raw. Imagine he brought it the first fruits, dirty, with mud, with rocks and gravel. And he said, this is great. Now look, you'll have the rocks, you can chew it, and you'll digest your food. But Cain, we're not animals. He, didn't, he, went, he had the concept in the raw form. Like eating raw meat, you're raw. The rectification of Cain, of Cain would have been remove those gravel, those gravel. When we offer a bird on the altar in the Holy Temple, we do it by removing the entire area where the rocks are in his mouth to show that that's the highest level of rectification when it's prepared and ready. Cain was to remove the gravel and, get, and, and, and offer the food ready to be consumed by God. The Jewish people and the Noahide have this, this, this comparison. The Noahide represents for the Jewish person the stone. They ask the hard questions. And we chew on it and, and, and really work on the issues. And the Noahide views the Jew as a no stone. The, the, the Jews have the Torah that should have no stones in it. The Jewish response is we remove the stone and deliver the well. A free-flowing channel from the base of Mitish from the times of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, back to Shem. Remove the stones from the well. Allow the channels to flow. When we remove the stones from these wells, we use the stones, and then you remove them. What it does is create a channel for all the Torah to flow. And then you'll have the revelation of more wells. All the wells in the world will start to flow. And the stones will serve its purpose of churning over ideas. But just like the rectification of Cain, they must be removed. First they must be dug, and then we remove the stones until like Moses, who sat and expounded and talked on the well which affected the water and the Torah of the entire world. That's all for this week. I'm Rabbi Ken signing off. See you next time. Thank you very much. Welcome back. That was Rabbi David Katz. You're listening to the Noahide Nation's radio show on Israel National Radio. Rabbi Katz, thank you for that uh, Torah teaching. And thank you all for listening and continuing to listen. And thank you for hanging in there towards the end of the show. We have just... A quick few minutes left in the show, and um, I want to tell you that uh, Bezrat Hashem, with Hashem's help, Ray will be back with me next week, and we will continue our Noahide doings uh, next week together. This is actually a, um, a a time of year where we where we've just come out of Purim, we're going into Pesach, and so we have a time of year where we've dealt with the hiddenness of God, Purim being a absolute uh, representation of God in his most hidden form and something that we can all appreciate, I think. Going into Pesach, which, let's face it, this represents God in his most nor- knowable aspect. This is when God revealed himself to an entire nation uh, through his acts against Egypt, really revealing himself to the entire world. But specifically at Mount Sinai, he 
gave the, the Jewish people a collective prophecy that everyone heard God reveal himself. We have these two uh, holidays back to back with one another. We have a holiday representing God's hiddenness and a holiday representing uh, God's knowableness. And so which is preferable? Is it preferable uh, to know to, to uh, believe in God when he's unknowable or when he is right there in your face saying, here I am? Well, the fact of the matter is when God is saying, here I am, there is no need for faith. You know, I would invite you to read um, on the Noahide Notions blog, Noahide Notions blog on noahidenations.com. Check out the uh, blog entitled Divine Aloofness to go more into detail on, uh, you know, what it is that we benefit from, how what we gain when God is aloof from us. There has to be a Mount Sinai. There has to be an ultimate revelation so that everybody can know once and for all what does God expect from us. That has to happen. But you know, for the great majority of the time, life is not about knowing with absolute certainty God is there. Life is about living in that certainty. It's about taking God's commandments and his expectations and living them. It's about expressing our free will in freely choosing to accept God into our lives and to freely choosing to accept uh, his will through us by uh, observing his commandments, whether the commandments, the seven commandments for the children of Noah or for Noahides, or if we're talking about the 613 mitzvot vote for children of Israel, understand, of course, when we say 613 mitzvot, vote, we do not mean that every Jew out there has an obligation of 613 laws. Actually, the 613 mitzvot vote are divided amongst the Jewish people, and, uh, you know, not any one Jew is keeping 613. It's impossible for a man to keep laws relevant for a woman. It's impossible for a non-Kohen to keep laws relevant to a Kohen, Kohen's being the descendants of Aaron. There's no way, a, you know, or, or a person who's not a farmer to keep the laws relevant to farmers. So we're not talking about 613 laws, period, but Israel being typically judged as a collective, has a collective 613 B'nai Noach having seven, which aren't just limited to seven, but actually expand out uh, to much more than that. So there has to be a Mount Sinai, but there has to be a Purim too. You've got to know that God exists and we need a strong tradition. We need a unique revelation, the unique revelation of Mount Sinai. So we have something to rely upon during those times when God is hidden from us, where it doesn't seem like he's there, but Actually, we know, thanks to the story of Purim, God is always there. Those are just some final thoughts. Please send your comments to um, either our Noahide address, adam at noahidenations.com, or noahide at israelnationalradio.com. And we've enjoyed being, I've enjoyed being with you tonight, and we shall see you soon. This is Jenny. I'm here at Israel National Radio. I'm so happy and uh, God bless Israel. 大家好,我是廖文林,现在是在 Israel Radio Station这里. I really uh, encourage everyone to come back to the Israel and this is a holy land. This is Israel National Radio. I'm happy. God bless this place, protect this place and be wisdom always. You're listening to IsraelNationalRadio.com.